0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. And joining me today is editor and producer Amy Solomon. Her new book is Notes from the Bathroom Line, Humor, Art, and Low-Grade Panic from 150 of the Funniest Women in Comedy. Brilliant women have always and will continue to push the boundaries of just how funny and edgy they can be in a field that has long been dominated by men. And Notes from the Bathroom Line is a testament to and 250-page uh, explosion of their limitless talent. In it, readers will find essays, lists, fiction, poetry, satire, cartoons, as well as quick hit musings on everything from text you sent to the wrong person to pop culture, your ex ruined for you, and everything in between. Editor Amy Solomon is a producer on HBO Silicon Valley, and Barry... She currently runs Alec Berg's production company where she develops content for film and television. Welcome to the show, Amy.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, congratulations on the book. And as I understand it, this is the first book written about women comedians since the 70s. It's been a long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know, it's insane.
0: It is insane. So, okay, why did you decide to write the book, and why now? And uh, I've got a whole list of all of these li- uh, women. I'll tell you, my th- women, my three favorite comedians, I'm just going to start, I thought I would tell you, Amy Schumer, Tina yeah. Fey, and Sarah Silverman. Are they in the book?
1: Yes. They're not. <laughs> don't hate me. They were very okay. busy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Amy Schumer's sister is in it, who's really amazing. Yeah, um, okay. But, yeah, so basically I grew up obsessed with Gilda Radner. Um, She is my queen forever. And so she, I basically went crazy buying anything and everything she ever did. So, like VHS tapes, like LP of her Broadway show. And then she contributed this book called Titters, which was this big collection of humor writing from 1976, that had a ton of my icons, so Candace, Diller, Candace Bergen, Phyllis Diller, Lorraine Newman, Gilda, um, and it was magical, and it had cartoons, and um, there's like a dirty Eloise comic, and so much cool stuff, and, but then there was never another collection of humor by women since 1976, so I had always wanted to do another, and that's what this is. Well,
0: you did it, and I went online and I saw the, uh, you kind of had, I guess it was on your Twitter feed, and you had uh, sort of opening up the pages, because the book literally did just come out, so kind of Mm -hmm. getting a a taste of what some of the uh, chapters were, what's in the books, Maybe we can go through some of them, because it's really funny, socializing, body and brain and identity, those were the three that I copied down, that I thought were interesting, so um, some of the humor that's taken from some of those chapters, let's talk about those.
1: Yeah, totally. So basically, I let all of the women write kind of whatever was on their minds, because what was really magical about Titters is it sort of got this time capsule essence to it. Um, so I wanted this to have the same thing. And I felt like if I let everyone write just like what they were thinking about, then it would like ideally happen. Um, so basically, I got all the pieces in. And then I let them dictate what those deemed chapters would be. Um, so yeah, they split up into these sections. So the first one is socializing, which is funny now because it was all written pre-pandemic and we don't socialize anymore. (laughs) That's
0: right. There's Um, no socializing.
1: Yeah, but it'll help us get warm back up afterwards. So it starts with an amazing piece by Joe Firestone. That's, um, ice crushers, which is ice breakers for timid groups. Um, which are these imagined games she has that are really, really funny. And it has amazing illustrations by Rachel Duggan. Um, and a ton of the pieces have amazing illustrations.
0: So, you know, it's interesting because we are, we, socializing is going to be probably something that we're, that will be the, the, what, the fodder for some of these uh, comedians, I would say, wouldn't you? And COVID and COVID-19, once we sort of emerge out of this, year, uh, emerged out of this quarantine.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think getting back into the groove of like, I take my dogs to the dog park, you know, in a mask and say super distance, but occasionally someone will be like, Oh, what breeds your dog? That kind of thing. And it's like, I've forgotten how to talk. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's true. And you kind of, do you find that you sort of like, you forget how to talk, but also how to, I, I find myself really standing back from, the more they start talking to me, I'm backing away. I get further and further away. Don't get near me. Don't touch me. I, you know, it's a, it's a whole physical thing as well as just, just the talking. Um, I'm not used to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of of my dogs is so used to us avoiding people on the sidewalk that when she sees people coming on the sidewalk, she walks into the street to walk around them. So I don't know if she's ever going to unlearn that
0: probably not some of this stuff is just going to be that we're just going to continue to do that what about each one of these i mean comedians are sometimes i've had you know having comedians on the show are probably the most difficult people to interview i find or if mm-hmm. you see two comedians uh, i was the ellen Jeanette, uh, Degeneres uh degeneration i forgot who the person the uh other woman was but it was another comedian it was it was kind of an uncomfortable interview and I'm not sure why that is because sometimes they feel that they have to be funny and maybe the I don't know but they're not easy comedians are very complex individuals let's talk about that the personalities because you've you've written a book about all of them and um yeah yeah so what's your experience I think
1: you know what Aparna Nancherla who's in the book who's an amazing stand-up comedian said the other day um, when we did a panel was she was saying that actually so many comedians are so in their head and often pretty withdrawn, but they do like, you'd think up comedians are these like, you know, really social, exciting people, but often she was like, it's a very controlled way to talk to people, you know, cause it's just you hypothetically, they're not saying anything back though. So sometimes people <laughs> break that rule, but, but you know, you get to say what you want to say and you get to, like organize your thoughts so it's a really control it's like almost having a one-way conversation so it's almost like an OCD way to be like here's how I'm gonna talk to the world so I think they've just figured out ways um, that work for them so in other words
0: sort of as you get up there and you're a stand-up comedian for instance you are controlling your audience it's you're yeah. connecting in a very different way than if it was you know just you and i are talking or uh in a mm-hmm. social situation yeah so it is a, and and com- comedians very often are are lo- loners um not people you know when they're not on stage they don't necessarily want to be with a
1: lot of other people um yeah right Yeah. I mean, I think I ended up, because there's like 150 in here and some are stand-ups and actresses and writers, I feel like this book probably has literally every kind of personality type. Um, But yeah, no, that's definitely true. Especially stand-ups. A lot of times they're, which is crazy because they have to go to these bars and kind of like socialize after and stuff like that. But I feel like I've met more stand-ups that are kind of just like a little bit withdrawn. Who was the
0: most interesting one to you?
1: Hmm. Or can you not say That's that so, because the book
0: just came out? I mean maybe you don't want <laughs> No, say
1: no. That. I feel like it's like sometimes people say, What's your favorite piece? And it's like, They're all my babies Um I don't know. That's so hard. There's this really amazing piece that um this woman Joanna Kahlo wrote, who's an amazing writer. She wrote on BoJack Horseman and lots of other, um, Babysitter's Club, lots of great shows. But she wrote this awesome, I had always wanted a day in the life. You know how magazines like Glamour and stuff will always have those day in the life pieces? Yes. Um, so I wanted like a sort of parody take on one of those. And she did a piece that's basically about her like constant guilt about, her kid like you know we wake up I um give her toys that like aren't as fancy as the toys on Instagram that I see people give then I like leave for a few hours to do some work and I feel like I'm missing my time with her and the nanny has this more special bond with her but it's just like her constant guilt about it and I thought that piece was just amazing like I love I really wanted pieces that are funny but also insightful
0: yeah, that's insightful and that's clever because it's like a 180 from the day, and usually a day in the life of it's always exciting and what this person's doing and interesting. This is exactly the opposite, which is probably totally, how exactly. most of us have our day a day in the life of, or many of our days, right? Um, yes, yeah, okay, so, so good. The, uh, that's um. Uh, yeah, I like that piece. What about the, because uh, I mentioned the chapters like uh, body and brain, what came under the body and brain chapter?
1: Yeah, let me flip to it. Um, well, so there's an amazing piece that's an FAQ about getting your IUD in, which I really love. <laughs> All um, right, let's talk a- about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so basically this Blythe Robertson, she's so funny. She had a pretty horrible experience getting her IUD in. She just felt unprepared So to for like how much it was going to hurt and like what it prevented and blah, blah, blah. So it's called My IUD Frequently Asked Questions, um, and it's very, very funny.
0: Well, I can identify with that. Not IUD, but I remember the first Tampax that I ever had to, we had, it was a whole group of friends outside the bathroom door giving instructions, like how to put put it in. And it was, I mean, it was a major event. So I'm thinking that's similar to the IUD situation, Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. It's so funny. One of the other women in the book asked me, like, hey, I, I'm getting an IUD. Do you know anything about it? And I was like, you got to read the book. There's actually a helpful FAQ.
0: <laughs> well, it's one thing male comedians can't talk about. What's the difference Do you? I mean, it's really been difficult for women in, in comedy, right? So what are some of those barriers? Do they talk to you about that? Because
1: that's been in, you know, a
0: a woman's issue for, well, before the 70s.
1: Yeah, I mean, luckily, I think if we're comparing ourselves to 1976, like it's gotten, oh my God, so much, so much better. But you still watch a lot of your favorite TV shows. And if you watch the credits, because I obsessively do, because I work in TV, you see like, oh, not a lot of women over there. And like, it's often you look, you'll see a picture of a writer's room on a TV show and there'll be one woman or none. Um, And so I think my biggest belief is that like workplaces, like the vibe and, the morals and everything trickle down from, you know, the top. So if it doesn't matter to the showrunners to hire women, like it's just not going to happen. Um, and so the more and more shows we see that like actually have women in place, like do you have like the most diverse, amazing writer's rooms? Um, so I think it's getting a lot better. And like, especially in the last couple of years where all of these incredible shows like fleabag and may I destroy, destroy you and stuff like that. Um, have been these like really celebrated shows. Like I think there's so many women champion shows now, so that's amazing. Um, But hopefully this is a book of like, look, here's 150 amazing women you can hire.
0: So Amy, how did you get into the business? And I mean, you're in the business, you're a producer, you run a production company. Tell us, yeah, Alec Berg's production company. What is it? What do you do?
1: So I actually, I moved out to LA just hoping to work in comedy, trying to figure it out. And I got a job as Alec Burke's assistant, totally randomly. He and I, um, and we just hit it off. And so I've just sort of stayed with him. I worked for him for seven years, which is crazy. And definitely a testament to that he's the best. Um, And so basically we have shows, we have a deal at HBO. So we, we try to develop new TV shows for them. And then we, did have the show Silicon Valley, and now we have Barry, which we'll shoot season three of uh, once everybody's vaccinated. And, um, yeah, so I I take pitches, and I meet directors and writers, and I just try to develop stuff um, for HBO.
0: I mean, as you're describing it, it's such an exciting life. It's what, you know, you said, well, I just went out to California, and this is what happened, or went out to L.A. That doesn't usually happen to people. They go out there and Nothing happens, and they go back to where they came from. So, how how do you think um, you accomplished all this? What was it? Uh, you kept, you know. Give us some. I guess uh, give mm-hmm. us some advice, or talk to us about how you yeah. did all this. Because so, it sounds like it's easy. Well, it's, as you describe it, it sounds oh well, this was easy. But I
1: think it was literally just trying to spare you the boring details. Oh no, I it's not boring. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it was truly months and months of meeting with anyone and everyone who I could like get a meeting with. But yeah, I just have been so passionate about comedy since I was so little. I grew up near Second City in Chicago. I did comedy stuff in high school and then all throughout college. Um, so I guess I like go go to go my resume and... Princeton. And I did, uh, I was in the improv group there, which is called Quipfire, And then Mm -hmm. I started a late night talk show with my friends called all nighter where we would have student guests and professor guests and musical guests. And it was the funnest thing ever.
0: So you've been working at it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You've been, well, as you said, since college or, or even before. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. I interrupted you.
1: No, no, no. And then, um, I definitely, I just like, you know, met with anyone I could, I gotta say, I guess my biggest advice in the world is, and my mom deserves all the credit for this. Like, I think, I believe in thank you notes more than anything in the world. I think if you write even nice, you know, so often when I talk to people, they don't even follow up and email, but like, if you can write, if someone does something kind for you, if you can send them a handwritten thank you note, like they won't forget that. And so, I think I wrote a lot of thank you notes. I still am. I wrote a personalized thank you note to all of the women in the book. I mean, I owe them way more than a thank you note, but um, I'm a big thank you note believer.
0: You're the last woman on earth to do that. I think I don't. <laughs> I, I don't have any. <laughs> and after a year, I have no. I don't have any note paper left or a birthday card, so I have to. I, haven't been, <laughs> I have to only do emails. But seriously, that is the, coming from you. You really do actually write notes and you're saying that's much more effective than just writing an email uh people do people expect that do
1: you think no not at all and i i do think i do think we should expect people to write follow-up emails like you know if you give someone advice on the phone like and you don't hear i do that a fair amount and if i don't hear from them again it's like okay um especially (laughs) and i want to like be updated about how it goes but um yeah, I think I, you know, I don't think a thank you know a handwritten thank you note is required for everything, but when someone really does you a favor, I think the, uh, I think it's a really nice thing to do. That's what my
0: grandmother used to say. <laughs>
1: she <used> to. <laughs> I, she I did will say, "I feel like I have a grandmother at heart," so that is, I think, pretty true. And my mom, my mom just was so passionate about us doing it growing up that it just really stuck.
0: That's great, though. That, no, I, I do. I mean, I do. But you know what? On the other end, I do appreciate it when someone does, you know, sends a birthday card and it's actually a real birthday card, not an you know, an, an online birthday card, which is what I send. Yeah. So I, I do. Appre- I, maybe I don't do it myself, but I do appreciate getting it. You're so right. It's a whole different feeling. I mean, it's it, it really does. There's something does...
1: magical about mail mm-hmm. mail. So, yeah, no, when I my friend Liz always sends a birthday card and it always arrives on my birthday and it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. How old are you? 29. 29. Okay. So you have a few more birthdays to go. Twenty. What's next after this book?
1: But eight, truly 86 inside, I promise yeah. you. I go to bed at like 8.30 p.m. Um, what's next? So first I want to take like the longest nap in the world. <laughs> um, and then we're going to shoot Barry hopefully like this summer, I think, once um, – Everybody's pretty much vaccinated, which I hope happens by then. Um, and yeah, I don't know. We have lots of stuff. We're working on a pilot um, for HBO with Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos, who's amazing. Um, we just got lots of little stuff cooking.
0: Yeah, so you always have a lot of little stuff cooking. It sounds like, right? That you're always you've got a, a lot of things at the same time.
1: Yeah. But what I've learned is you have to have like multiple irons on the fire cuz inevitably one of them will end up not going and if it, you have all your eggs in that basket it's just like too devastating. Um so you got to have a bunch of them going at once and you never you kind of never know what's going to go. Um and you just hope they don't all go at once cuz then you're screwed.
0: Yeah. That's good advice. What's the most difficult thing for you to to deal with in this business? I mean,
1: Hmm. um I definitely you know what I constantly when someone's rude or like dismissive or something I'm constantly like is it because I'm a woman is it because I'm young or is it because I'm bad (laughs) so it's just it's like always hard to determine like what why it's happening. You know, my boss and I met with someone once and he, the guy would only look at my boss. Well, that's happened a fair amount, but this one meeting he would only look at my boss and you know, my boss is like way more powerful than me. So like for sure, maybe it's power, but I'm also like, is it sexism? Is it age stuff? Like what's happening? So sometimes I just get so in my head and the answer should be, is I shouldn't care. It's fine. That guy sucks. But, uh, I, yeah, sometimes it's like, what's happening here? How do I get to the bottom of it?
0: Could it be something that you actually said?
1: <laughs> rather? <laughs> totally, that's what I mean. It might be that I'm yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It could Not totally just, be. Yeah. So For sure. Some, so then I'm like, okay, what did I say that was bad? Like, I have to figure that out. Yeah, so it's just like constantly second-guessing myself. Yeah, but you have that
0: list. I think most of us do. Many women do, I should say that. How has the Me Too movement affected Well, you as an individual, but you in your business, or has
1: it? Hmm. I think, I do think it's made, I mean, I am so lucky to work with, like, the loveliest, most feminist men, Alec Berg and Mike Judge and Phil Hader. They're all amazing. Um, But so, I've never, like... I think generally it's just made men more aware of what they say and do and that not just absolutely everything goes. Um, and so I do feel like people, not tiptoe, but like they walk, they tread more lightly, which I think is important. Um, so it hasn't like directly affected me day to day, but I think that that's just more of the vibe. It's a little bit more careful, which is good. Yeah,
0: careful is good. I was, but what about. Stilted? Is it stilted? I mean, I'm just thinking of the Harvey Weinstein thing and how that's permeated. And it has uh, the entertainment business, and just specifically for you, or has it? Careful, you're saying people are more care, or men are more careful, but not stilted. Well, I'm putting words in your mouth.
1: No, 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 that's okay. I think I think they're all figuring it out. I definitely think you know, and it's, it's especially a, it's a difficult thing in comedy writers' rooms especially on shows that can be like a little bit raunchier. I know people and women too, just because I think there is more of a culture of like, we need to think through what we're saying. Um, And so I do think people are like, I have to be careful. Like, but what can I say? Also, I want to be able to pitch stuff that without thinking too hard about it, because nothing kills comedy, like thinking too hard about it. Um, And so I do think it's something that everyone's sort of wrestling with of like, What's what's okay and like how do I make sure all my coworkers are like as in a safe space and like as comfortable as possible? But it's a definitely a hard thing in in comedy sometimes.
0: Yeah, I would think it would be the most difficult in comedy, as you say, because if you particularly you're a woman, some of this I don't, off color, raunchy, whatever you want to call it, and then yeah. this yeah all that stuff. We only have two minutes left. It was um, so I want to make sure cause the book just came out that everybody buys it, uh, notes from the bathroom line. So give us some websites to go to, um, where they, yeah.
1: So you can go to notes from the bathroom line.com. It has all the info and a link to buy it and stuff like that. Um, I, I am a huge proponent of independent bookstores. So my favorite thing is if you want to call your local bookstore and have them reserve it for you or order a few or whatever, um, and yeah, it's. Uh, I think the book is good.
0: <laughs> it's very exciting. It's great. And we're going to look forward to your next book, too, and the third season of Barry. So you've got, yeah. as you say, you've got a lot going on. But Amy, thanks so much for being on the show today. It was really fun. Great talking to you. Thank
1: you. I really appreciate it.
0: Great. Amy Solomon, Notes from the Bathroom Line. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.